Hey guys, what's up? I'm Shaman. And I'm Tiffany. <laughs> and you're listening to Chai Tea Party. This is a podcast about the underdogs. The, the brave. brave. <laughs> the creative. <laughs> and the slightly off, off in the right. basic community. <laughs> okay. Understanding that you might not make much, but you're here for more than what they say. Stay woke. Even if they all choke, stay woke. Even if you lose hope, stay woke. Don't you give them that rope, cause they know. You could be much more, they know. a very special guest. I've known her her entire life and we're bringing her here on the show for a new business that she just started called Curated Goals. Today we have Balak Vani. Welcome. Thank you. Okay Balak, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your background. So Mm -hmm. um, you guys, well we can go divulge into more how you guys know each other. So you said Tiffany that you've known her her entire life. So you guys are family friends, I take it? Mm-hmm. Our parents have known each other um, pretty much since my parents moved to Michigan. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Which nice. was in 97? Yeah. I think. 96, maybe? Yeah. Oh, from Ohio. Because, yeah, Puka mm-hmm. from Ohio. Okay. okay, cool. Nice. So, being, like, growing up in this area, and since you obviously knew, like, Tiffany's family, um, you were surrounded by a lot of Indian people, I mm-hmm. take it. Mm-hmm. So how did that shape your identity as a brown person growing up in Michigan? Well, that's a good question. Okay, so, um, well, I mean, if, if I wanted to go real backwards, um, I think the biggest way it first started to shape my uh, identity was through dance, Indian dance. Since I was, like, three, I was already, you know, putting on, like, Indian outfits in the house, like, dancing around to Bollywood music. So, like, I had that in me, and I don't really know if I was exposed to it that much. Like, my parents never forced me to do any of it but it was more like I had watched the movies and just loved the colors and loved the dancing and just started doing it by myself so my mom um enrolled me into dance school um at the age of five which was the earliest I could begin we tried to get me started earlier but they wouldn't let me um and I just you know went on dancing for 13 years until I was 18 and I think that shaped me a lot like my identity as an Indian person because it gave me a real glimpse into the Indian community um you know other than just going to the temple and going to like different types of uh cultural events um that actually taught me like you know different stories like religious stories that were we were dancing kind of out and um yeah just in general the culture so I think that was what first started to shape my identity um, as an Indian. And then as I went on to college, you know, I joined all the Indian American Student Associations and all the dance teams. So everything I did, now that I'm realizing it, is kind of shaped around dance Mm -hmm. that exposed me more and more to the Indian community. So did you like naturally, just because of that, did you naturally find yourself in high school or middle school just gravitating towards more of the brown kids? Mostly, yes. Uh, there were, like, I think my last two years of high school, not so much. Um, I think because I maybe noticed that. I think I maybe noticed, like, whoa, I have a lot of Indian friends, and a lot of them don't even go to my high school. Mm-hmm. So I'm, like, going to graduate in a couple of years, and I don't even have that many, like, close, close friends at this high school. So I tried to start to balance both, probably my last two years of high school. But even in college, it was still mostly Indian. So um, yeah, I think most of my life has gravitated towards Indians, except for like the last couple of years. I feel like when you're, when we're in those stages, whether it's like in high school or when you're in college and you're surrounded by these brown people, 
after like a certain point, you're like, I need a, to detox. Yeah. Like, I need to get mm-hmm. away from. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know how it can be sometimes when you get in a big group of Indian people, it's like, there's like this level of cattiness that comes into it and like the drama and it, it's, it gets exhausting after sure. a while. And so sure. you're like, I cannot do this anymore. I just need to like go find other people to hang out with or like. I would find myself hanging out with, like, some of my non-Indian friends because mm-hmm. it's, like, I need a break from everything that's going on here. Yeah, it's you very overwhelming to sometimes. constantly sure. be in those situations. Sure, sure. Yeah, for sure. I think I feel, like, I think a lot of Indian people feel that way, too, especially when you are so, you're surrounded by it for your entire life. Yeah, I think you don't realize you're in a bubble. Right mm-hmm. of like Indian world, yeah. everything's around. Everything around you is Indian. Everyone kind of knows each other somehow, right? Which is awesome in ways, but can be mm-hmm. tough in other ways. And so I think for me, like every time I got a glimpse into non-Indian, I was like, "Whoa, that's bringing mm-hmm. out in me qualities that I didn't even realize, like mm-hmm. or things that I'm interested in that I didn't even realize." Because when you're in Indian world, you only really see yep. through one right. lens, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So with curated goals, how did how did this company come to fruition or like what made you, mm-hmm. kind of, what did the, what started your gears to turn about this company? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I worked in private practice before this in Chicago and I worked at like an anxiety uh, treatment center. It was specific to anxiety and related disorders. So I was practicing there for about a year and a half, um, working with clients like individually. I also did support groups. Um, and I loved it. I loved the job. Um, and I found that, you know, when you're a therapist, you also over time realize and learn like what your niche is and what you're a good fit for and kind of what your, your, I don't know, it's like your good, whatever yours your good fit, I guess. Um, and so what I started to realize is that what I was really good at is working with individuals who are really goal oriented and are seeking like a behavioral approach. Okay. Um, and so over time, I just kept seeing that, that, oh, wow, I'm a behaviorist. Um, and I think I kind of always knew that, but you don't really understand that until you start practicing right. and working with individuals. So over time, I learned like, well, wow, I'm seeing the greatest results and the greatest progress with the individuals who are like that goal oriented behavioral approach. And mm-hmm. um, so that was great. Found that out. And then I started to realize you know, maybe there's another way to help these kinds of individuals instead of the, instead of the traditional therapy model, which is go see your therapist once a week for one hour, um, which works for many people. But for some people, it was like they wanted more frequent but shorter sessions or like variation like, oh, can you email me everything you just said? Or, you know, oh. those that was some of the feedback I got because of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my gears were turning for a while, but you know, I wasn't really sure what am I going to do with these thoughts, you know? Um, and then eventually I left that practice and started to be like, okay, clean slate. Let's start to brainstorm all these things you're thinking. Um, and the biggest things that I was that I was thinking was behavioral approach, goal-oriented, technology, and affordable. Affordable was a huge yeah. thing. And so many of my ideas were next in the beginning because they were not affordable to the everyday consumer. Um, so it took a lot of brainstorming and I finally came up with this idea of assisting individuals with their anxiety in a more frequent and affordable basis. And they can pick how they want to do it. Phone calls, if they just want emails, if they want texts, if they want a combination, however they want, whenever they want. Um, and also like what I'm doing is not actually therapy. What I'm doing is listening to people, you know, finding out what their issues are, how we can make goals and monitoring their goals. So oh, I am I am doing coaching. Yeah. I'm actually not providing therapy. 
So that's why I like to say that like people who are going through like major depression um, or like PTSD or something like that wouldn't actually be a good fit for my uh, company because I'm not getting deep and, you know, really deep and, um, you know, like talking about childhood. Like we're not doing those kinds of things. Um, it's more of the people who are like, I have this issue, like I have issues functioning, I have issues sleeping, I'm having panic attacks, like now my work is getting affected, my relationship are getting affected, like I want to start to work on this now. So we kind of go like the last year or whenever the anxiety started, um, but that's kind of what we focus on, just the anxiety. So anyone who has like co-occurring or mood or um, personality, anything like that, Mm -hmm. probably wouldn't be a good fit. Okay, so that makes more sense. Mm -hmm. So this also allows you to have clients that are not just based in New York then, Exactly. Mm -hmm. Everywhere. Michigan, New York, Chicago, I mean, California, honestly, even Canada. Nice. Mm -hmm. So is it just you at the moment? Yes, it's just me. That's super exciting. Thanks. Uh, What made you, so I'm assuming then you did like all of the psych background and everything through college and all of that. What made, you, what made you want to get into therapy? Oh, well, this is a long story, but I can, <laughs> I can go on and on about this. But, um, I mean, just, like, recently. So, in college, actually, speaking of being Indian, I was pre-pharmacy at first. Okay. Um, because I just, I think I just, like, blindly chose it. Like, I worked in a pharmacy. I was exposed to a pharmacy. I think I was like, yeah, like, this seems cool. And I didn't really want to be a doctor. Um, and so, and everyone had always told me it's a good career for a woman. Yeah. Um, so I did it. And for the first two years of undergrad, I studied, I did the pre-farm classes and like, it was fine. It wasn't, it was okay. Like it, it, I was bored, but right, like, like, do anything for you. Yeah, it didn't do anything for me. And I also had to take psychology classes because of the humanities and the social sciences um, requirements. I was taking psychology, I was taking women's studies, I was taking all these other classes, and those were fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were like one out of my four classes every right. semester. So, you know, after two years when I had to declare my major, I like, really realized, like, I do not want to do pharmacy. But then I was like, how do I tell my parents this? You know, <laughs> because my parents were like so happy, she's gonna be a pharmacist. All this kind of stuff. Um, So I remember, I still remember this day. They were coming to visit me and taking me out to Olive Garden. It was like our spot, you know, our family (laughs) dinner spot. And, you know, we'd ordered. I was, like, sweating. I was, like, so nervous. And I was like, Mom, Dad, like, I have to tell you guys something. They were like, what? I think they thought I was like, I don't know what was going on. But, yeah, I don't know what they thought. And I was like, or, like, I failed out. I think that's what they thought. But I was like, I think I don't want to do pharmacy anymore. And my mom was, like, so slowly. She was like, okay. Well, what are you thinking? I think she was hoping, like, she want to be a doctor now. <laughs> you know? I was like, um, so there's this field called psychology and sociology. And my parents, I mean, honestly, they just listened, you know? And they were more confused, I think, because they don't really know what, at that time, didn't know what psychology, sociology, women's studies, social work. They didn't know any of these terms. Like, they knew them very very briefly and but they didn't really know what that meant so my dad was like well what kind of career can this you know get you like what does your life look like is it stable like typical parental questions but they were super supportive I mean never negative never like no you can't more just like okay explain it to us Mm -hmm. which I'm so appreciative of because I imagine it would have been a lot harder mm-hmm. if they were against it. Yeah, um, so sure. super, super lucky that they were open and willing to listen. Um, so yeah, so then I switched to psychology, sociology, and then I was like, all right, now there are a hundred things I can do in these fields. Um, big, two biggest things are research and or practice. And I had to figure out if 
I want to do both or one or the other, etc. So I started to um, work in an honors research lab, and I also started volunteering at a bereavement center um, for kids, so support groups for kids mm-hmm. who had lost a sibling or a parent or a relative, and I just found myself gravitating there. Like I liked the research lab, but I just loved being with a human, you know, working with them. Um, and seeing them progress. And I just really love that. So then I was like, all right, I got to practice. I want to practice. I don't want to waste my time doing research. So I didn't go to the PhD route. Um, I went a master's route, got into the master's of uh, social work at the University of Michigan, um, completed that. And there I did lots of different internships, residential foster care, inpatient psychiatric unit. Um, And then after that, I worked in partial hospitalization and then eventually ended up in private practice. So that's kind of the general gist of how I ended up here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then moving to like the app idea, mm-hmm. um, or I guess so the business idea mm-hmm. of thinking so. Yeah. How have your parents been receptive to, to like this new venture? And like, mm-hmm. you are literally jetting off to New York. To- <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> how are they taking like mm-hmm. all of this new information? Have they been? as receptive about it as they are were initially? Yes. I mean, my, I'm so, so lucky in this matter. Uh, my parents are super, my entire family, not just my parents, my brother, my sister-in-law, and my niece, um, <laughs> all of them, they're super supportive. As soon as I came up with the idea, I mean, I literally, for the like this launched a month and oh, almost two months ago, but before that, for the couple of months, I was thinking, 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 what am I going to do? And literally every five minutes I would come down with a new idea. So they were just my sounding board, you know, like, sure, like, bring us a proposal, like, tell us your idea, you know. And then I finally came up with this one and all of their reactions were like, this is it. You know, this is it. This is what you got to do. You, it seems like you've really laid it out. So I'm super supportive. And my dad and my brother, they're both entrepreneurs. Um, And so they so have, they yeah, they get it. And, <laughs> yeah. they, and they get that it's hard, right, right, when you start and that you've got to do things like this. You've <laughs> got to do things like market. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to be able to talk about it and co- be comfortable talking about it. So honestly, they've been so supportive, so excited, actually. Awesome. Yeah, it's been really great. That yeah. aspect has been awesome. Yeah, I think you're right. It's so much easier to do these things when your parents are on board. And not mm-hmm. even on board, like very actively supportive of you yep. and, like willing to let you bounce ideas off of them or just like let you talk and like keep pitching and doing all these other things with them so I'm sure that makes it like so much easier and I want to say one more thing about that yeah. is that for an Indian parent talking about mental health and anxiety this is like a foreign concept mm-hmm. and they've right. learned throughout the years from me but not as much as they're learning now you know mm-hmm. and like now it's like kind of cute my dad's like how always has his business my business cards in his pocket everywhere he goes he's like giving it out and he's like talking about it as if he like now he understands it and really right. gets it and I just think that's so sweet that they're open to learning about something that they had no idea about maybe mm-hmm. seven eight years ago yeah and especially with something like like you said like with mental health it's such a difficult concept for people to understand like even um i mean we talk about this all the time but just like uh, you know in in our community mental health is something that you're just supposed to shake off Mm -hmm. or like you're just supposed to kind of get over it and seeing a therapist Mm -hmm. is then even on that scale like completely different even Mm -hmm. just acknowledging it is a big deal Mm -hmm. but then saying you're gonna go see a therapist then you still have family like even if your immediate family gets it then your extended family is like, right. Well, you know, right. what are you wasting your money for? Right. You know, mm-hmm. and then also on top of that, you're paying $120 per visit with insurance. Right. <laughs> so it's right. just even more reason for them to be like, why, why are you doing this to yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, totally. Or it's making our family look bad or whatever. So 
it's not even like you're opening a, I don't know, like a business making coats for cats. Right, right, right. I get it. Yeah, like yeah, it's something a lot more difficult for them to understand than anything else. Although, to be fair, I would think that making coats for cats that would be a little bit difficult to understand. And that point is like, but I digress. And you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Do you ever see a therapist? Um, I have before, yes, because I mean. I really believe that you can't treat unless you've been treated, unless you're in that seat, right? Unless you have that understanding of what it feels like to be on the other side. So, yeah, I have in the past before, and I I think it was really helpful. Mm -hmm. And I'm, of course, pro-therapy, pro-getting help, whatever, in whatever form it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we had talked to somebody else about, somebody else that was on the show, Zane, and um, he's also in therapy. And Mm -hmm. so we were asking him, like, how, how do you deal with, um, and he also like sees a therapist as well, because we were asking like, how do you deal with when you're on the receiving end of this? Mm-hmm. It's like everybody's coming to you mm-hmm. to unload all of their emotions and all of this weight off their shoulders onto you. Yep. So how do you go about a day and you keep functioning and you have to stay upbeat and like you seem like a very upbeat person? <laughs> so how do you keep that demeanor when people are like unloading all of this stuff on you all the time? Well, so I'll t- I'll talk to that when I was a therapist compared to like now when I'm a coach, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was a therapist working in private practice, um, you know, you don't have a personal relationship with your client. That's actually one of the rules or the ethical guidelines is that you can't have a personal relationship with that client, whether it's a friendship, whether it's, you know, romantic, like mm-hmm. all of that's a no-no. So when you don't have that, there's a boundary um, that's immediately drawn. And once that boundary is drawn, um, you learn not to get emotionally invested um, in that way, right? Like you right. care about your client and you want to help them and, and you want to be objective in everything you do with that client. But I think you it just comes with practice. You end up understanding that this is the room and everything that happens in this room and there's so much I can't control and that's okay and I can only do what I can do. Mm-hmm. Another big lesson I learned that helped with that is that helped me to not take things home is that I'm not a good fit for everyone. And that's okay, right? Like a lot of therapists will get really upset and say, I don't think that session went well. I think that person doesn't like me. I don't think they're going to come back. My response to them would always be like, that's okay. And and that shows something about you and the client, right? right? And that you need a different fit and they need a different fit. And that doesn't mean you're a bad therapist. It means that you guys are just not a good match. Mm-hmm. So that lesson actually helped me a lot. I've never really thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's like a really good life lesson too. Yep. You know, like it'll mm-hmm. just make you like more at peace with yourself. Exactly. If you realize that there are things you can't control, you right? Know, why try it or why try to? You know? Exactly. And not everyone is going to like you right. and exactly. your style and your technique. Right. And that's okay. And that's, that's okay. okay. There are going to be so many other people that do and appreciate and will accept the help that you're giving and actually progress with that. But exactly. You're right. Yeah. You can't expect to help mm-hmm. everyone. And I mean, it is like a sad reality, but after a while we all, I hope we all get to that point of realization where, yeah. you know, it's okay. And we're like, okay with it. Finally. Yeah. I would imagine that'd be the hardest thing though, is to like remove, emotionally remove yourself from a client. Mm-hmm. Just like knowing who I am. Like I get so attached to people so mm-hmm. fast that I'm like, I, like, even friendships, like, if I lose a friend, it's, like, the worst breakup I've ever had. Sure. Like, I had a fight with a girlfriend, and it was, like, two years before I got over it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I don't know if I could ever remove myself from a situation mm-hmm. like that. So, like, mad respect to you and the therapist. Oh, well, thank you. imagine mm-hmm. I I would just be, I would be, like, drained all the time, mm-hmm. taking on all of that, that uh, stuff. 
Well, and so I want to also speak to me being a coach now. Being a coach now is very different than the things I was doing as a therapist. Being a coach, um, there's still a boundary, but it's different. And also, yeah. like, I'm not taking on those clients that have the deep, you know, right. real, like, real deep depression or the traumatic events that they want to process. So for me as a coach right now, it's it's much different. Mm-hmm. Um, the boundary is set immediately that I'm the coach, you're the client, but... I'm not really working with patients right now as a coach that have things like that. And if, mm-hmm. if they do, it's my job, you know, I've made it up on myself to refer them out and to not mm-hmm. try not to take them because that's not fair to me or to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it's a more positive environment that you're in, that you've already created now for yourself because it's more uh, goal oriented versus like, like you said, where there's this, some deep emotional issue mm-hmm. you're, you're working past mm-hmm. versus like, I want to achieve this goal. So when you achieve that, it's more tangible, I would think, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes. Mm-hmm. There's more of like an end result mm-hmm. that, that, you know, the, there's a lot of the end Yeah. So um, yeah, that is super awesome. Yeah. And I'm even thinking of it as like the client perspective and I see it the same way, you know, you know that you're progressing because there's someone on the other side that believes in you, mm-hmm. knows that you can get there, right. breaking down the steps of how to get there. Mm-hmm. And then once you cross those little hurdles, like you realize, Oh, I can, right. I can do these bigger ones. I can tackle these. Exactly. Bigger projects or, exactly. You know, things, you know? Yeah. And then that also will help with, if you do already have like major anxiety or depression, like that can also help you. Cause you feel like, Hey, I am doing good. <laughs> right. You know? Exactly. So, these are the skills. Mm-hmm. And if there's something deeper mm-hmm. that you still want to, you know, get through and, mm-hmm. and realize and learn, then I would say go see a therapist, go mm-hmm. see someone who specializes in depression or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but I think one of the reasons why I ended up here is because I was uncomfortable mm-hmm. with the clients who had the really deep, really the oh, yeah. depression mm-hmm. and the PTSD and the suicidal ideation. That wasn't a good fit for me, mm-hmm. in fact. And that led me to realize these are the kinds of clients that I'm good with, mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with because the therapist comfort is also really, really important. Right. Um and so, yeah, I think that's what's led me here is that I was in uncomfortable situations that I realized, like, I don't actually want to do this. And there are mm-hmm. loads of therapists who want to do that. Right. And so I strongly believe that therapist, coach, whatever you are calling yourself, you should try to figure out what your fit is and stick to that mm-hmm. and not try to do everything because then you're just not benefiting the client mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah. i think that's great to have that kind of self-awareness so that you could do your job better mm-hmm. and then even the, you know coming out and being able to create a space for yourself that fits you better that mm-hmm. if it's not there you can you can make that area for yourself exactly really cool um so what do you think the next year is going to kind of look like for curating goals sure great question um well I'm moving to new york which is yeah, super exciting yeah, so um thank you so um i mean i think the next year i have lots of hopes and dreams so i'll tell you about those because <laughs> i can't predict the future but um i think to continue working on my individual component which is working with individuals just like we talked about you know over the phone over text over calls things like that um but i also want to add a second phase which is speaking at events. Um, one of my missions is to talk about anxiety and to get other people talking about it. Like I don't, I really, it really bothers me that so many people out there are struggling with anxiety and they are kind of scared to talk about it or feel like they're ashamed or something like that. And I just literally want everyone to be talking about anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like that word should be in our common daily language. So the more I can educate people what anxiety is, how it affects us, what we're doing to actually make it worse, um, the more I can do, the better. So yeah, I would want in the next year, add phase two, 
which I'm already starting now, um, but I would like it to blow up a little bit more where I'm speaking at events, um, whether it's corporate events, whether it's at a yoga studio, whether it's at a high school, whether it's for, you know, a dinner party. I mean, hey, why not, right? right. Like, you can be very lively about it. So that's probably... Yeah, the more people you can reach exactly. that goal, the easier it'll be to reach it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's probably the next year. That's awesome. So following up on that, then, and this is a good segue to it, is I think when people think about anxiety, they think of panic attacks. Mm-hmm. They think of, like, the farther end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. anxiety falls on all these oh, yeah. and it shows mm-hmm. itself in different ways. Totally. So what can you tell people about anxiety? Look, what, we'll start with what is anxiety? Okay, yeah. Yeah. So anxiety is fear. And when I say that, people are kind of like, wait, what? Like, no, I'm not scared. Like, I'm not scared right now. Well, yeah, you don't realize it on the surface. You don't realize on the surface that you're scared and that it's fear. On the surface, you're like, I'm worried. Um, but when you actually get a little deeper, you realize there's a fear there, right? So the classic example I like to use is like someone who's scared of losing their job and has, or sorry, someone who is worried about losing their job and is having anxiety about like, I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to lose my job. They think they're just worried about losing their job. Like, I'm just not going to have a job, I'm unemployed. No, there's something deeper there. Let's, let's figure it out. And often it's public shame. That's the fear. The fear is being ostracized, right? So that's that's what's causing all this anxiety. And that fear of being ostracized can come up here. It can come up here. It can come up here. I know people can't see me, but I'm doing all these hand gestures, guys. Um, it can, you know, <laughs> rise with losing your job. It can rise with, like, tripping on the street. But that's that core fear. So, yeah, anxiety is fear in a nutshell. My therapist always says that it's, like, I actively see their therapist, and I think mm-hmm. she's amazing. Um, but she always, if I come in and I say I have anxiety, like I feel like I just want anxiety, she says it's two, I don't know if this is what it was, but it was, I think she said it was two things, because stemming from two things, it's either the fear of losing something or the fear of, um, something bad happening, something bad happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So she's always like, let's get down and see what it is. That makes a lot of sense. you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I also like something you mentioned is uh, what people are doing to make it worse. What are some things? Ooh, yeah. What are some things that people do to make their anxiety worse? So this is interesting because what he, we as humans naturally do to respond to anxiety makes it worse. Like how crazy and ridiculous is that? Like right. what we are prone to do just makes it worse, and so many people don't even realize it. Right? right. That's what I want to do. I want to educate people. Um, but most common responses to worry slash anxiety is avoid, distract block right those yeah. those yeah. are the and that's natural that's what naturally happens oh i don't like that go away right. i don't like that go do this right um but that actually only is short-term relief temporary relief and guess what as soon as you're done working out it's gonna come right back right um so yeah so naturally avoiding blocking distracting stopping any of those like resisting your anxiety techniques is going to make it stronger so and every person who's in mental health might you know, have a different approach. This is my approach. Um, my approach is face your anxiety, face your fears. You know, that's the common saying that we hear in society, face it. And, you know, you can face your fear, whether you're scared of an elevator or you can face your thoughts too. But so people don't realize that you can have negative thoughts, intrusive thoughts, and there are techniques to face them and they will eventually reduce. Right. 
It's, it's very true. I have definitely gotten better about this because I, you know, even if I had like an exam I had to take or something, I would just like not look at the syllabus or like not mm-hmm. look at like yeah. something else. Mm-hmm. But now like, you know, if it's something I'm really dreading doing, it's the first thing that I do. Yep. Because yep. then mm-hmm. immediately that anxiety Ex- depletes right. mm-hmm. and it's like, and it's, oh, over. it's already done. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I'm not just like anxious for, you know, a week with like migraines. Right. For no reason. Yeah. Right. And then even the other things you do to distract yourselves, they're not actually making you happy. Mm-hmm. And you're yeah, just no, no. stressing about it. It's like that one meme that's out right now, like, um, watches Netflix, has a bunch of things to do, stressfully watches Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're not even enjoying, like, maybe your favorite movie ever and you're watching it. Like, are you really enjoying it? Like, no. Like, yeah. just do the damn thing and then watch your movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're still like, I know I have to do this thing. I have to, like, yeah, get it exactly. done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I totally yeah. understand that. No, but I've been actively trying to work on that, too, like, and I'm not saying, like, recently, like, in the past, like, four years when yeah. I realized, like, yeah. hey, it actually helps when I do these things. Right. Maybe I should keep doing them. Right. You know? Exactly. Um, and it does. Like, it really does. And it's so easy to, like, say it and to tell people that. But, like, once once I'm in that position, then I'm like, okay, that was painless. You know, like, right. oh, ripping off the Band-Aid thing. Exactly. You know? like, it's just about taking that first step mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. doing something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it helps like, being around people, too, and, like, talking to people about your fears or, you know, mm-hmm. anything that you're anxious about because the more it's, like, out in the open, like, the easier it is to face it. Exactly. Because you can keep hiding from it forever. Right. But you're just always going to be stressed. Well, and it'll just get bigger, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I like to use the, um, like, the bully or the monster um description like I worked with kids a lot and I still work with kids um and it's basically like anxiety you can think of as a bully or as a monster if you avoid distract stop block you're just feeding the monster and it's going to get bigger and bigger and continue to come after you like just like a bully would right like certain ways you respond to a bully bullies love that they're going to keep coming back but if you respond to a bully by facing it and challenging it a little bit they're going to get bored of you and they're going to move on Mm -hmm. so that's the approach you want to take I like that. So what are, I know this can be also a very long conversation, but what are some tips to help people combat their anxiety? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, simply put, fight it. Simply put, challenge it. Um, So, you know, simple exercises like if you're trying to not think about something, think about it. Do like a one minute, like say, all right, like start your timer on your phone for two minutes and say, I'm going to actively think about it. I'm going to actively think about it. So if the fear is losing your job, but like you're trying to block yourself from thinking about that, set the timer and say, I'm going to lose my job. And then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. Try to use lots of and defense and think about it. It's kind of like a worry appointment. You know, it's like, make yourself an appointment to actually think about what you're worried about. What you'll realize is when you're actually giving yourself time to think about it, it doesn't actually provoke that much anxiety and you are able to move on. Mm -hmm. So simply put, when you start to feel anxious, if you can in that moment, set aside some time and think about it. Don't avoid it. Don't block it. In fact, repetition is key. So I'm going to lose my job. 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 The more and more you say it, your anxiety slowly starts mm-hmm. to decrease. And then you're like, oh, okay, that wasn't so bad. Instead of like, I'm going to lose my job. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I got to go do something else. I can't think that. I can't think that. Then you're shaking and then yeah. you're trying to work out. But that thought keeps creeping back into your mind. It's just not productive. So take the couple minutes and just think about it. And then you're going to be able to move on much faster. Wow. That's a very simple technique, of course. Mm-hmm. They get yeah. more elaborate, but that's, like, a good one to use right in the moment. Well, yeah. for more information, uh, go Yeah, to exactly. <laughs> yeah, I can teach you more. <laughs> <laughs> Just plug in there. <laughs> Do you have a website people can go to? Yeah, yeah, it's curatedgoals.com. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, well, since we're here, we'll plug everything. So yeah. you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, yep. 
Instagram, Facebook, Facebook website. I don't know what website. Yeah. Yeah, those are all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if people do want more information and what email you, do you have email as well? Yeah, it's just balak at curatedgoals.com. P-A-L-A-K is how you spell my first name. And we'll put all of that in the description of the podcast in the notes section. Cool. Well, I was going to say right also now, if someone but... is interested in, like, talking to me, um, you can yeah. either call me, which is, like, right on my website, the number, or you can book an appointment um, from my online calendar and we can actually like talk over the phone and it's free like the first time there's oh, a phone wow. consultation it's free um, and I learned about your anxiety I learned about you and I recommend to you how often I think you should or you know would benefit you how many goals per week or phone calls per week etc and then we kind of collaborate based on your budget based on what you think you know my goal is to teach you the skills and to have you go on your merry way like I don't want to cheat you and keep you on for longer so I can make money I actually really want to help um so yeah I always suggest if you're wondering set up a consultation it's free anything you'll learn a little bit and Do you yeah. need to have some sort of idea of what your goals really look like? Or are you are, are you able to help people kind of, you know, if I have like a vague idea of like, this is kind of what I want, but I don't know what a timeline is supposed to look like for this. Um, can you kind of help navigate that as well? Oh, yeah. You know, I think, hey, call and tell and, and spill it all to me, right? Like, this is what's happening. This is what I'm worried about. Ramble, right? Like, I will organize it. I will tell you what I think is going on. I will tell you what I think you need. It's That's not your job. That's my job. Right. Your job is to say, okay, there it is. Now what do I do? And I will literally instruct you um, if you agree to do it, if you agree to to do the coaching. Um, But yeah, no, you're that's the whole point. Like I want to take a lot of the pressure off the client and just for them to literally receive in an email instructions of what to do, reply to it back in the places where they need to respond. And I'm monitoring their progress. I'm sending them new goals. I'm the one sending them a progress report. I'm doing all of that. You shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to do any of that. Thanks. It does. It does. Like, it sounds like you are taking this whole like, um, just weight off of other people Mm -hmm. in a different way, like you Mm -hmm. said. But it's almost like having your own like assistant, like having somebody exactly work out your schedule for you and know Mm -hmm. what you need to get accomplished and get done. It's almost like okay, like I don't have to worry about it. I just know like this is this This is is what I do. Right. We're good to go. Right. Oh, I love it. That's amazing. Thanks. I'm a big Yeah, anytime. <laughs> anyone. Anyone. Okay, perfect. So the part that our guest has definitely been waiting for, and I know audience, you're waiting for it too. We play a little game with our guest. Um, she's super nervous, but she's been saying it out loud a lot, so she's not anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, good, good point. Good one, good one. <laughs> um, we play a little this or that type game that we have brilliantly named this or that. Love it. We're asking you five questions back and forth. Um, coffee or tea? Uh, pencils or pens? Like those kinds of questions, and you just answer rapid fire. Oh, God. Your mind. Oh, God. Okay. All right, Can't guys. Go back on it. First thing you pick is the one that you choose. Um, this is like the Friends episode. Y- yes, exactly. Yes. Oh, exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, so if you say mom or dad, and you say mom, then we're calling your dad right Oh, now. my God. Okay. <laughs> I would just say my knees. <laughs> okay. All right. Ready? New or vintage? Vintage. Iron Man or Captain America? Iron Man. Salt or pepper? Pepper. Wait, what did you say? Pepper. She said pepper. Okay. <laughs> Wait, why? No, because I, because it might, hold on. 
it doesn't actually have anything to do with mine, but I was thinking, if what? <laughs> I'm so confused. Okay. <laughs> all of this shit out. <laughs> Cupcakes or scones? Scones. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Sneakers or heels? Sneakers. Recent. Recent thing. Recent thing. I'm telling you, recent thing. <laughs> yes, yeah, same You here. passed 100%. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Sneakers have been a new thing to buy. I'm like, I used to always pick heels over everything. Same. Like, now I'm like living in kicks. I'm like comfort over everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is like the, that's how you know you're grown. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. Comfort everything. Yeah. Now that's how I like pick out my outfits. If it's cold outside and we're going out, I am wearing a jacket. I don't even yep. care how cold Earmuffs, all of them. Oh, yeah. Gloves. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I lost one of my gloves yesterday. Oh. Yeah. 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 Okay, so another thing that we like to ask guests, and it's definitely relevant in this specific situation, too. Um, what do you do to unwind, mm-hmm. to... Um, you know, your little self-care routine, like, what do you do um, to either keep your goals in place or just chill Treat the fuck yourself. out? <laughs> yeah, totally. So, um, I'm a big, you didn't ask me coffee or tea, but I'm just going to answer anyways. I'm a big tea drinker, mm-hmm. and I love, like, matcha lattes. Yes, So, right. actually, my biggest self-care routine is in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, I guess it starts with at night. Like, I, I need to sleep. Like, mm-hmm. that's the beginning of my self-care routine. Like, I have to sleep seven to eight hours Otherwise, it's not going to be a good day for me the next day. I mean, I'll be fine. But overall, like, that's – I try to do that most of the time. Um, so I like to read at least, like, a half hour before I go to sleep, um, fall asleep without devices, without TV, um, and just try to, like, naturally fall asleep, sometimes with the book on my face, but that's okay. Um, and then I like to wake up probably, like – I know this sounds kind of interesting, but I like to wake up two hours before I have to actually do anything. Two hours, two hours, yeah. So the first hour is where I'm, like, chilling. Okay, Mm -hmm. I make my matcha latte, I get my robe on, I make my matcha latte, I chill, I either read a little bit more, I watch the news, or I watch a favorite episode um, of, like, a TV show. Right now it's How How I Met Your Mother. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just chill. And, like, literally no one really else is really awake at that time. My phone's not going off. Like, clients aren't calling at that time. And it's just quiet. And that's my me time, Hmm. drinking my latte and chilling. Mm -hmm. And I'm not in a rush, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I have another hour to get ready Mm -hmm. to do whatever I need to do to go wherever I need to go. So that's honestly has been so helpful for me is planning out that time in the start of my day versus the end of my day. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, because then it sets you up feeling refreshed. Exactly. You've had time to wake up. It's Mm -hmm. like okay, now I'm groggy at work. I have to have enough sleep. And that's, like, this big cycle. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you feel productive. Like, a lot of the times, like, I don't want to do the dishes at night. Like, Mm -hmm. but that hour in the morning gives you time to do it and you're more awake. So, yeah. And you already feel productive. Right. Dishes, Mm -hmm. you need to go out of the kitchen sleep. Mm -hmm. We're all set. I like that a lot. Thanks. Another thing we like to ask people is about um, yourself. So, what are two things, a physical as well as a non-physical attribute that you just love about yourself? Okay, well, non-physical is that, like, I'm really driven. I'm a very goal-oriented person, a.k.a. my business. But um, I think, like, once I do something, I set my mind to it, I get it done, and I, like, I'm, like, very, very organized, probably a little too much. Um, You know, I'm all about, like, checklists and calendars. And so I think that is something I love about myself, and it helps me both in my professional and my personal life. I mean, like, to be early to things, like, that kind of thing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Um, Physical, I actually like that I'm short. 
Okay. Also, a recent thing. I used to hate it. I used to be like, oh, I'm so short. But now, I mean, on airplanes, like all that, you know, I just, I think I'm starting to like, like the way my body falls and how clothes fall on me. I'm starting to learn my style, what looks yeah. good on me, what I'm comfortable in. So now I like really like my height. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I really Thanks. Uh, anything to add? Last minute things from Tiffany? Anything that you would like to add that you've not had a chance to say? Call me. <laughs> Let's chat. I'll coach you. <laughs> yeah, and again, we're going to put all of the information for curated goals, phone numbers, emails, social media handles, uh, website, in the notes of the podcast. You can find her. She will also be tagged on the actual episode on our Instagram. So go follow us on Instagram for more of that. Finger guns, but I don't uh, but yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Before you look, it's on the stuff to get done before you leave. <laughs> no worries. Thank you guys it. for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Come back in town. Or we'll see you in New York. Yes. 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 <laughs> awesome. It's so funny because by the time this comes out, you'll have like already settled in New York. <laughs> I know. Because we leave tomorrow. So. Yeah. yeah. That'd be cool though to listen to it. Yeah. yeah. Like that was a night before I left. Right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, right. Hush, but you're here for more than what they say. Stay woke. Even if they all choke, stay woke Even if you lose hope, stay woke Don't you give them that rope, cause they know You could be much more, they know Yeah, yeah, You gon' feel all my depths and I ain't stopping till they say I'm the best huh. Cause I could have been nothing, could have faded away Imagine that though, I would not break So what you gotta say now? I can have it, I can grab it, it ain't mine, I can fly Ain't they tragic, ain't it backwards, what well, the fact is huh. If I let you kill my steam, lock me up, I'm never seen Brown faces never dream, but what if? If I set myself free and nothing came in between Can't you see what yeah, I be, huh? Good luck, this is ownership, but the onus is on you to be great.